very uh, fitting this morning to sing about our big mighty God because uh, the title of the sermon this morning is The Authority of the King. The Authority of the King. We need a big mighty God and bless God we have a big mighty God. And if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be uh, in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We're talking about the authority of King Jesus. Uh, as we think about authority in our culture in a season like this, um, we uh, recognize that sin and authority have an interesting relationship, don't they? Uh, sin, because of sin, because everyone is born a sinner, uh, sin makes us both love and hate authority. That is, we love to wield it, but we hate to submit to it. From our very birth, we push back against our parental authority. If you've had children, you know what I'm talking about. You don't have to teach them to disobey. <laughs> you have to teach them to obey. Disobedience comes quite naturally. We have a bent away from authority, even good authority. And we live in a day where our culture, just reality is, we're being trained by the, by, I would say, by our cultural system and the uh, uh, media and everything. We're being trained to view uh, uh, society and culture as a giant power struggle. We're being trained to view reality as if it, it primarily consists in us versus them. But what if all of our fighting in our society right now is like is like people fighting over who gets the, their preferred seat on the Titanic? What if we're missing the point? What if there is one with true and incomparable authority before whom every knee will bow and before whom everyone must give an account. What if the very test of our lives and our eternities is whether or not we gladly submit to the one who has all authority? I want to suggest that this is the true story. This is the story of Jesus Christ. This is what Matthew wants us to see by telling us Jesus' story. That over and against all the other things playing out in the world, there's something much bigger and greater playing out. Although it didn't look that way at first. People were worried about Caesar. They were worried about Pilate. They were worried about Herod. They were worried about the government. They were worried about the, the, uh, the, the, the tensions between the cultures and between the societies in the very uh, uh, eclectic uh, Middle Eastern world, Mediterranean world. And into that comes... <laughs> comes a man who is a king, but a different kind of king. His kingdom's a different kind of kingdom. His rule is a different kind of rule. And yet he has all authority in heaven and on earth. So if we're going to get things right, we have to get our story right. And that's the story of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk about this morning from Matthew chapter 8 beginning in verse 1. So if you have a Bible, I just invite you to join me. If you're if you're here, you, ha you should have a note sheet that has the scripture on it. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, it says, When he came down 
from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled, and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west, and will recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. The word of God. So this morning I want to explore this passage under three headings. Number one, I want to talk about the authority of his will, the authority of Jesus' will. Number two, I want to talk about the authority of his position, the authority of his position. And number three, I want to talk about the authority of his word, the authority of his word. First, I want to see the authority of his will. As, uh, as you can tell from the title of my sermon, I believe that this passage here, this section, Matthew chapter 8, and really all of chapter 8, focuses on Jesus' authority. Jesus, uh, uh, Matthew wants us to see the magnitude and the extent of Jesus' authority. And in so doing, of course, as Matthew is writing this book, his desire is for us to believe, right? He's writing what happened so that those who weren't there to see it for themselves would know what happened so that they like the centurion, for example, might see Jesus' authority uh, and, 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 and believe it and rest in it and trust on it and call on it for our good and for his glory. Uh, the, we know that the authority of Jesus is central in this passage because it, it gets picked up there at the end of chapter 7, which we talked about last time. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, that when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd were the crowd the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. And then, right after that, in chapter eight, Matthew begins to describe Jesus' authority. Then, not just in his teaching, 
but in his word, in his in his in his deeds, in his healings, in his miraculous power. Right? So Jesus has unparalleled authority. And that's what Jesus, uh, that's what Matthew wants us to see. We saw Jesus' authority in the Sermon on the Mount in his teaching because Jesus had the audacity to uh, say that you've heard it said this and this, but I say to you this. He said, he said, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. So Jesus, and then at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we just talked about these three illustrations where Jesus essentially says that where you stand before God in the final judgment depends on where you stand with me. Where we stand with God in the final judgment will depend whether or not when we see Jesus, if he recognizes us and knows us. It will depend on whether whether we not just hear his word, Jesus' word, but hear and obey. And so, I mean, if you can imagine hearing somebody talk like this, you'd recognize, man, this is different. Something is different. This man is seriously claiming that our eternal destiny depends on what we do with him. And that is, in fact, what he's saying. But it's not just words with Jesus, because he proves it by his deeds. We see that Jesus' authority extends uh, over sicknesses and diseases. In this first case, a leper comes to him. And it says that he kneels down to him. The word there for kneel in the Greek, in other contexts, can be, could, can be translated as worship. Because, of course, kneeling is a, typ is a typical posture of worship. And so there's kind of a double meaning built into the word, and I think it's almost I think it's purposeful uh, in in Matthew that the the, the leper he, he runs and he kneels before Jesus, and he in his mind he just he might just be kneeling, but he's doing something more than perhaps even he realizes because what because he has obviously heard about Jesus, he has heard about Jesus's power, he has heard about Jesus's authority. And he believes in it enough to think, man, if I would just go to him and ask him, who knows but that he might heal me. And so he goes to him and he kneels and he asks in faith, believing that Jesus can heal him. And what is that? What is running up to Jesus, kneeling before him and pleading for his help? What is that besides worship? It's worship. He, he goes to him and he responds in faith to the authority of Christ. That is worship. Notice here the leper's specific address to Jesus. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. So notice the language there that in the leper's mind, there's no doubt in his mind that Jesus can heal him. That's faith. That's faith. The only, the only matter is that does Jesus want to heal him? Will Jesus heal him? And so the statement itself, it, it shows us the great faith with which the leper approached Jesus. I know that you can, and if you're willing, if you're willing, I will be healed. And so, and so Jesus has all authority. He has all power. He can do anything that he wants. The question is, is it part of his will? And so we too, like the leper, we can run up to Jesus 
in faith, knowing that he can, and then we just we can ask according to his will. And now, and now we know that not in every case does God choose to heal, but we know that he can, and in many cases that he does. But there are some promises, one particular promise, a most important promise, that God always guarantees to answer. And that in that prayer is the answer for forgiveness of sins through repentance and faith in Him. That is, we never have to wonder. We don't always know if it's God's will to heal me in this particular circumstance or to, or to work out this particular situation in the way that we want it to. We don't always know that it's God's will to do that. But we do always know that it's God's will to forgive the humble and repentant sinner. Jesus put it like this, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Paul put it like this, quoting the Old Testament. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Your greatest need, God always promises to deliver. And that is forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And if your sins are forgiven, the Bible says you won't you won't ultimately pay the penalty for sin, which is death, but you will be forgiven of your sin. Therefore, you will be free from the grip of death. That means that you have the guarantee, the sure hope that one day the Bible teaches you will be raised from the dead. And then at that point, everybody will be healed. Every situation will be made right. And will be with our Savior and our healer and our deliverer forever. Jesus sees this leper and he sees the leper's faith and the Bible says he reaches out and he, and, he, and he touches him. He touches the leper. We It's hard to grasp this, but actually it's a little bit easier to grasp in recent months because of the virus, right? Would you walk into a room with somebody who is actively battling the virus and just reach out and touch them? That's what Jesus did. He reached out and he touched this leper. The le lepers, by the way, were considered unclean, very unclean. This is according to the law, the Old Testament Jewish law. Lepers had to stay outside of the camp, outside of the community. They're not allowed to live near other people and to come in contact with a leper made you unclean it, it, in fact it inhibited your worship if, in an unclean state you would not even be able to go into the temple to worship god and so jesus he sees this leper and he's unclean and he has this very serious and and likely we don't know contagious skin disease and Jesus reached out and he touches them and you see of course Jesus is unique in this regard because anybody else anybody else in the world any other person when you touch something unclean the unclean thing makes the clean thing unclean but Jesus is different Jesus is so clean he's so pure he's so holy that it overflows from him like a flood that when Jesus touches the unclean he makes the unclean clean Jesus' holiness, 
His cleanliness, His purity reaches out and it overflows and washes over the uncleannesses in our lives. And He makes the unclean clean. Far from being defiled Himself, He makes clean the defiled. If you, I don't, I don't do this very often, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll recommend this. I want to recommend something to you if you haven't seen it already. It's a series uh, called The Chosen. Uh, it's a, it's an app. You can download it on your phone or your tablet or whatever, or I think you can stream it online as well. And you can watch this series, and it's a series about the life of Jesus. And they, they take some creative liberties with some backstory and stuff like that but i just want to say from my from me watching it it seems i think to really capture the spirit of the ministry of jesus and and they 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 share um one of these instances of jesus cleansing the leper and it's it's just it's incredibly powerful because we just it's hard for us to grasp the social stigma the uncleanliness with which this a leper would be viewed but just Jesus, he just, it doesn't, it doesn't concern him. He just reaches out and touches him, and he's healed. The leper says, Lord, if you will, make me clean. And Jesus said, I will. I will be clean. What is this? This is the authority of Jesus' will. Jesus does what he wants to do, and nobody can stop him. And if Jesus wants to do it, it's going to happen. And so in your situation, you could call out to God and say, Lord, if you will be clean, let me tell you something. If Jesus wants to do it, it's going to happen. Nothing's going to stop them. So we can, we can pray that in unbelievable faith in the authority of Jesus' will. Number two, we see the authority of his position. We see the authority of his position. It says there in verse 5, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my roof. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. And said to those who follow him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So Jesus there, he, he comes into Capernaum, which is essentially his base of ministry there in Galilee. And he's approached by a Roman centurion. Uh, Luke says that he, he sent his servants to him. And that, that's really no problem because sending one servants is basically going yourself in, in the ancient Near East. It, it represents the same thing. And uh, the centurion tells Jesus that his servant, who is probably a Jewish servant, was paralyzed and was suffering terribly. And Jesus' response is, I will come and heal him. Now, now it's important to understand that that might not be the only, that, that's not the only way that, that, the, um, that Jesus' response can be translated. Uh, in the original language, uh, the, the oldest Greek manuscripts were written in all capital letter, letters, no spaces between the words, and no punctuation. So punctuation in your Bible is actually a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's interpretive. So it, it, it could be translated as a question. Rather than saying, I will come and heal him, 
it could be Jesus's response could have been this: Will shall I come and heal him? Well, and, and in Greek, the the I is emphatic. It, it's hard, it's hard to render in the English, but the I is emphatic. So it could be that Jesus is saying this: Will I, shall I come and heal him? Will I come and heal him? In other words, Jesus could be asking this: You're a Roman centurion, and you want me, a Jewish rabbi, to come into your house and heal him? That's really what you want? And and uh, but the centurion's response into Jesus is, is amazing, right? He says, what? He says, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me and so on. And it says, when Jesus heard this, he said, he marveled and he said, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I heard such faith. Have I found such faith? And so what is, what's the centurion saying? See, this is, this is what's so shocking, and this is what Matthew wants us to see. He wants us to see this contrast, right? We have a Roman centurion. The Jews are basically being oppressed by the, by the, the, the Roman government, and yet we have a centurion here who's, who is, who's Matthew is saying he gets it, and the Jews are missing it. The centurion gets it. While the Jews are missing it. We would expect this, this Roman centurion with only, as far as we know, a pagan religion background. He got it. He understood. The centurion was under the authority of Rome. And was ultimately under the authority of the Roman emperor. The centurion der derived his authority from the emperor of Rome himself. And, to, and, to, and for one of his soldiers to be insubordinate. To him would, would be insubordination against Rome itself. All the centurion had to do was give the command and it was done. And because of his experience, this gave the centurion a profound insight into the nature of Jesus. He reasoned. He, re he looked at Jesus and he had the grace of God and the humility of heart to see Jesus and notice something different about him. That this man had authority. That when he spoke things happened and nothing disobeyed his command and he began to reason he says well if i'm a man under authority and all i have to do is to say the word and make it happen and i'm under the authority of the emperor then what about this man who is under the authority of god how much how much more does he have authority to just say the word and make it happen and he has this humility he has this humility of heart to say, Jesus, I'm not even worthy to have you come into my house to just say the word. So, and, and then Jesus calls this, he calls this faith. He calls the centurion's response to him, faith. And so what we get here is a, is a profound picture of what faith is. It is humility. It is a sense of unworthiness before the authority and the glory of Christ. But it, it, so it is humility, but it is humility coupled with faith in his goodness to act on our behalf. In other words, not only did he see Jesus's authority, believe in Jesus's authority, felt a sense of humility and unworthiness in view of Jesus's authority, but he also had the trust that if he called on Jesus, to exercise his authority on his behalf that he would. What is that? It's faith. It's faith. 
This is the authority of Christ as God's chosen instrument, and his, as his very own son who was appointed to bring salvation uh, to the world, to rule over the world with perfect love, righteousness, justice, purity, and unchallengeable authority. Jesus said this in John 12. He said, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So Jesus is deriving his authority as, a, as, as, a, as his human agent from God the Father, and, and, and he has spoken, and it is by that word we will be judged. And the centurion's response evokes from Jesus some of the best news in the world for you and for me. At the end of verse 12 there, it says, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing. It's very difficult to overstate the shocking nature of this statement of Jesus. Because he used, he sees the centurion is a picture of what's of the general response of what's going to happen in Jesus' ministry. And that is those who we least expect to get it. Those who we least expect to come under the saving grace and mercy of God, of God are the very ones who find it. And it is those who, who were religious, who were so sure that they were in the kingdom of God that they were just were hardly even concerned about it, were the ones who will find themselves thrown out of the kingdom. In God's great wisdom and mercy, it's not merely Jews, Jesus says, but Gentiles from the furthest reaches of the earth. That includes you and me, who shall be sitting there at the royal banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. Can you imagine it? We will be there in Jesus Christ if our sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. When he returns to set up his full and final kingdom, we will dine at table at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And we'll be able to say, there's Abraham, there's Isaac, there's Jacob, and here I am. There you are, sitting with them in the kingdom of God. Why? Because we deserved it? No, because we believed in this. And he brought us into the kingdom. This is what Jesus is doing. He is instituting a new people of God, not by blood, but by surrender. Not by genealogy, but by faith. Jesus' grace is deep and wide, and anyone can become part of his kingdom. No matter what you've done, no matter for how long you've been doing it, if you will come to God through Jesus Christ, 
He will forgive you of all of your sins. Adopt you into his family. Fill you with his spirit. Break the power of sin in your life. Give you a new heart, a new mind. Make you part of a new family, a new people. And he will keep you until the last day. If you will come to God like the centurion did, you will come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm not worthy to have you come into my life and change me. But I know that you can if you will come. Just say the word, Lord Jesus. If you will, you can make me clean. Just say the word. And Jesus says, whoever comes to me, he will not cast out. But the reality is, the sad reality is that not everyone will do it. Not everyone will do this. Not everyone will see it. And that's what Jesus said here. After great patience. And all you have to do, by the way, if you don't think God is patient, just read the Old Testament. Look how patiently he did, he treated the Israelites. After all that he did for them, after the land that he gave them, after all the blessings that he poured out on them, after all the prophets he sent to them, look how patient he acted. Look how look how long-suffering he was. Look how many chances he gave them to turn to him. And they were unwilling. They were unwilling. And Jesus says that on that day, the sons of the kingdom, those who were the ones who were supposed to be there, will be thrown into the outer darkness. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the question, the most important question of your life, the question you have to ask yourself is, are you, are you a true child of the kingdom or not? Have you truly surrendered to the king or not? Are you, are you a child of the kingdom, a child of God? He is patient. He is merciful. He is gracious. If you're listening to the sermon this very moment, this is an act of God's grace in your life to give you another, yet another opportunity to come to him by faith so that you can receive the kingdom. But I'm just, I'm telling you, you have to know the truth. If you do not, if you rebel against the king, you will receive the recompense of your rebellion. And Jesus said, in that place, there is weeping and gnashing. Bow the knee to King Jesus before it's too late. And so we see the authority of his will, the authority of his position, and finally here, the authority of his word, verse 14. says, when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word. And healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So, um, to just sum up this last part here, I think the most important phrase 
is found there towards the end of verse 16. When it says that Jesus did these healings, he cast out demons, and he says he did all this with a word. He did it by a word. That's how Jesus, that's how, that's how Jesus uh, did this. It says here that um, that the uh, all had to, all Jesus had to do was speak. There could be no doubt to, to me, it seems, that we're tended to hearken back to the book of Genesis, chapter one, when when all God did was say, Let there be light, and there was light. In other words, he, he's just he's highlighting the authority of Jesus. All Jesus has to do is to say the is, is to say the word and it happens. Just like God, all he had to do is speak and the universe came into existence. Jesus has that same authority. And he closes this uh, he closes this uh, little section here saying that, that all this happened to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. This is a this is a significant quotation because remember Jesus had just said what in the Sermon on the Mount that he said that I have not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. And so Matthew is trying to say what that here here it is. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to fulfill the law of the prophets. And here is the prophet Isaiah, and Jesus is fulfilling it. And it's important because the quotation is from Isaiah fifty three. Uh, verse uh, uh, five or four or five, I think, and and uh, and and then I think it's verse four. And then if you look at the very next verses here, the very next verses uh, in the in the book of Isaiah, verses five and six, it says this. It says, "But he was pierced for our transgressions; he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so I think when, when Matthew quotes this verse, he intends for us to go back to that passage and to, and to understand the fuller context of the verse that he has, has quoted. And so clearly what, what Matthew is, is, is intending to tell us here is that Jesus' healing ministry is part of his fulfillment of Isaiah 53, which is about not just physical healing, but is about the greatest possible kind of healing, that is the healing from our sin. And how did Jesus heal us from our sin? Well, it tells us he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He stood in between you and God, and instead of you getting getting what you deserve, he got what you deserve. He stepped in the gap. He bore our sin in our place so that we wouldn't have to. And we know that sin and diseases and, and uh, diseases and sicknesses and, 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 and oppression and de uh, demonic oppression, all those things, are ultimately a result of sin. And so it's no good, it's no good to heal diseases if we don't forgive sin. Because what good is it if you hear of your disease just to die and go to hell? And so Jesus has done the greatest thing, is he has healed us, he's healing here, he's healing spiritually, but it, but it's, it points to something far, uh, he's healing physically, but it points to something far greater than that. The spiritual healing that he came to bring 
by bearing our sin in himself. The basis of physical healing is spiritual healing. And because Jesus has healed us spiritually, the Bible says we'll one day live physically. Forever. In resurrected bodies that cannot get sick, cannot grow old, cannot die, cannot sin. Forever is coming. Because he has forgiven our sin. This is Jesus' authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And in one of the greatest acts of his authority is the laying down of his life. You see, that's what authority is about. Jesus has all authority, but he doesn't. But what has he done? He doesn't do it just to lord it over people. He used all the authority that he had to do what? To save his people. That's what it says in Matthew and John 10, verse 14. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. They didn't take Jesus' life. He laid it down. He had the authority to lay it down, and he had the authority to take it up. And that's exactly what he did. He's also got authority to forgive you of your sin. And he's got authority to, just as he raised himself from the grave, he's got authority to raise you from the grave. Too, to dwell in his kingdom forever. And so that's the invitation. And it extends to us all. Jesus is the king. There's lots of things going on in our world right now. It's easy to be concerned about it. But I just want you to remember, this world's passing away. It's, it's, it's going to be over soon. In the kingdom of God, in the, there, you know, America, Russia, China, all these problems, all these issues that we're facing, it's not going to be a problem. It's not even going to be there. Jesus Christ is Lord. His is the kingdom that truly matters. And the, and the gates, the gates are open. The gates are open if you'll come. But and, and God is patient. He's merciful. But I just, I have to tell you the truth. There's one day, there will be a day that comes when the gates are going to shut. And then, and then it's too late. Why is while you still can bow the knee to the king, gladly surrender to the one who is willing to use all the authority of heaven and on earth to save you from your sins, and know the hope and the joy of the that only He can give. Let's pray today.